0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Friday, November 4th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick,
1: how's it going? Matty, it's going pretty well, dude. Happy November to everyone. It is leaves falling down season. And for some people, I'm not going to say who, it's Christmas season. I will accept
0: it. Halloween's over. (laughs) So... I I personally enjoy some mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. Uh, I love stuffing. Stuffing is a top tier food for me.
1: <laughs> I, I'm okay with you celebrating Christmas today. <laughs> you know, I was saying to my girlfriend actually the other day, I was like, we can wait until mid November and then I'll 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 like get it get it going. I think you got to sprinkle
0: sprinkle some Christmas songs into the playlist, but don't go like all out yet.
1: No, but I agree. I'm let fine your, with that
0: yeah let your your body let your psyche know it's coming exactly it's not here yet settle in yeah
1: get used to it yeah
0: and then all of a sudden like november i don't know what is thanksgiving this year 25th it's 20 it's the 24th so november 25th you wake up and all of a sudden it's christmas season
1: yeah it's true honestly day of thanksgiving you're like oh man because they got the parade and then what's at the end of the parade santa that's damn right matt let's roll all right, before we roll into this show, I have a quick apology
0: to the listeners. Um, I am also a listener of this show, and I noticed last week, the week before, week before that, my laptop has been loud, and that's because my laptop is cheap, so it doesn't have a great fan, <laughs> so it works really hard when we record this show. Um, I am moving my microphone away from the camera, <laughs> away from the computer, you know, I'm, I'm putting in the extra work to make the show sound better. So I'm sorry about that. And I hope that you weren't too annoyed by every time I spoke. Matt, we appreciate your apology. Yeah, I'm sorry that you had to edit through that as well with the, the whirring in the background. But <laughs> I will be better moving forward to everyone. Sounds good. All right, let's do it. today. We cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday.
1: All right, time for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is from The Guardian, where Matt Krupnick writes, EPA sued over lack of plan to regulate water pollution from factory farms. This is one of those stories that always gets me a little fired up when we
0: talk about the EPA not doing the things that it should be doing because it's the EPA. It's the Environmental Protection Agency. So they should be proactive about making sure that things like pollution are properly regulated. It shouldn't take advocacy groups filing a lawsuit for the EPA to be like, oh yeah, we should be doing something about this. So the lawsuit that was filed by dozens of advocacy groups claims that the EPA is yet to respond to a 2017 legal petition from more than 30 environmental groups demanding that the EPA tighten its Clean Water Act enforcement. Concentrated animal feeding operations, which are more commonly known as factory farms, are a major source of water pollution as manure, antibiotics, and chemicals
1: leach into the water supply. The EPA never explained how it plans to crack down on this water pollution. And federal laws require government agencies to respond to petitions like this one within a reasonable time frame. The argument here is that five years is more than enough time. Livestock and poultry alone generate around 1.4 billion tons of manure per year. And this manure is often stored in ponds. When those ponds overflow, they can reach streams, lakes, or rivers and eventually work their way into the groundwater. When
0: that gets into the groundwater, it can irritate skin, it can cause gastrointestinal and respiratory problems, and it also causes toxic algal blooms that can kill off aquatic life living in the water. The EPA estimates that 75% of factory farms discharge pollution, but they haven't really done much to regulate or to limit this. According to the University of Nebraska's Anthony Schutz, this is because of the powerful agricultural lobby that does not support regulation. Imagine with me for a moment a world where money is not involved in politics. Like, I know this is not realistic, but we would be so much better off if our politicians just did the right thing instead of following the money that lines their pockets.
1: Yeah, and it's crazy that, like, we have the knowledge, uh, like, we know that that our politicians are doing this and like, we still have to elect them into office because to think of the other side or like either way you think about it, like we think about what the other side is doing and we say, Oh, well, I don't want them to do this major bad thing that I'm very passionate about. So I'll, I'll vote in this other person who is, you know, taking money from X, Y, and Z corporation or whatever. Yeah. But this is the EPA. This is someone who's supposed to be just like straight up looking out for for people and the environment. And when you have something like this where it's just straight like pollution into your groundwater, mm-hmm. like directly into what people are drinking every day, it should be a no-brainer that you have to at least investigate and, and see what's going on or or hold the people accountable for what, what they're doing. Yeah. But if the lawsuit against the EPA is successful, the agency could force states to tighten pollution enforcement or else the EPA could start regulating agriculture at the federal level. Industry groups argue
0: that proper regulations are in place and that factory farms take pride in their environmental protection, but when you have 75% of factory farms polluting nearby water,
1: the bar for how proud you are might be a little low. (laughs) This lawsuit is really just asking for the EPA to hold polluters accountable. If you're not polluting, you really don't have to worry about this.
0: Yeah, it's it's really not much. It's like if if you're worried about you being held accountable for something that you're doing wrong, easiest way to fix that is to stop doing stop something doing wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah. I will yeah. say I do appreciate the EPA giving me my new built in excuse for everything. Um I am going to only do things within a reasonable time frame from <laughs> now on. No more like, yeah, I'll have a tea by the end of the week. No more, oh, that'll take me a couple hours. I'll get a tea to later today. Nope Everything. Reasonable time frame, and it is only up to my discretion.
1: (laughs) What's that? I didn't get my taxes in on time? I thought I had a reasonable time frame. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? Exactly. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) All right, let's move on to our next story by Lee Cohen of CBS News, who writes, untold human suffering is in the near future as UN warns climate change is pushing Earth closer to extreme warming.
0: Yeah, um, this one is going to sound alarmist. That's because this is alarming. This is going to sound extreme. That's because climate change is extreme. This is daunting. It's scary. And that is okay. You know, we're, we're here to be realistic and we're here to talk about the negative sides of environmental news as well as some of the reasons to be hopeful. And believe me, there are plenty to be hopeful for. Uh, this is this is not one of them. And this is one that hopefully this These three reports coming out right before COP27 makes global world leaders get their act together. Three United Nations reports last week said the world is falling short in its efforts to mobilize against climate change. As you might be aware, limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels has been the main goal for climate change negotiations on the global stage for years now. If we can't hit 1.5, the secondary goal is 2.0 degrees of warming because every fraction of a degree matters. And the thinking here is 1.5 degrees of warming is gonna be tough, but it's gonna be manageable. 2.0 will be pretty bad. And past that, things are really not looking good. We are currently on track to hit
1: 2.8 degrees Celsius of warming by 2100. Carbon emissions are still rising, nations have not put together sufficient plans to reduce this, and they're failing to act on the plans that are actually in place. The UN's Emissions Gap Report says there is now no credible way to reach the 1.5 degree goal. The report says the only way to change our current trajectory is with an urgent, system-wide transformation. The UN Framework Convention on Climate Changes report said that we are currently on
0: pace to increase emissions by 10.6 percent by 2030 compared to our 2010 levels. That is a 3 percent improvement from the same study that they conducted a year ago, which estimated about 13 percent emissions increases. But it's still far too much for the natural world to handle. If every single country that signed the Paris Agreement achieved their goals, 2100 would see a 2.5-degree warming scenario. So in other words, we need a new agreement in Egypt after COP27 this upcoming week. It's got to be more robust. It's got to actually get the job done. Because if we acted correctly on Paris, that would have gotten the job done. But the main critique for Paris was that it was non-binding. And if you didn't hit your goals, it was up to the other countries to basically shame you and encourage you to do better. We need something that's legally binding, and we need every country on board, or else we are going to reach that 2.8 degree number. And I don't think anyone who's listening to the show wants to experience that. I don't think anyone in the world is going to want to experience that.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. And these reports found that emissions won't be increasing after 2030 but part of this plan needs to include rapidly decreasing emissions. To reach 1.5 degrees of warming, the number we've been talking about for years at this point, we would need to decrease emissions by 43% by 2030. The final report we alluded to earlier was by the UN's World Meteorological Organization, who found that carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide all reached record highs in 2021. Carbon
0: dioxide is up to 149% of its pre-industrial levels, with methane at 262%, and nitrous oxide coming in at 124% higher than those pre-industrial levels. All of these reports show that the world should prepare to see negative and severe consequences as the planet warms, according to Pateri Talas, weather chief of the World Meteorological Organization.
1: Tallis also said that we need to reduce the burning of fossil fuels now. Since methane doesn't last in the atmosphere as long as other greenhouse gases, its impacts are solvable if we act quickly. And if we don't, we can expect more frequent and more devastating climate disasters. We'll see more droughts, extreme heat waves, flooding, hurricanes, and loss of plant, animal, and human life at a massive scale.
0: It's... Very frustrating and very concerning to me that scientists don't make decisions. You know, like that's, that's the way that things are. But you would hope that the people who do make decisions, presidents, prime ministers, all the different world leaders, you would hope that they have the wherewithal and just the common sense to listen to the people who study this sort of stuff for their their lives, for their careers. Like people have dedicated so much time and so much of their, their passion goes towards the environment, the natural world, and ultimately the human world. This isn't just going to impact the environment. And I feel like they're often left out of conversations at the global scale because money takes priority and it's expensive to act on climate change. It's going to be more expensive to not and to have to reevaluate later and fix this whole mess that we put ourselves in. But right now, people are like, I don't want to spend that. And who cares if they're going to have to spend it later because I won't be here for it. And that's so selfish.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I absolutely agree with you. It's, It's extremely selfish. And what I was going to say is on a very basic level, you have to ask yourself the question, Do I care about my neighbor? Do I care about just the person down the street from me, whoever it is, my family member, a friend, anyone, someone I I see at a gas station? If you can't answer that question and say yes, then clearly you don't care about climate change too. Because if you actually do care about your neighbor, then you have to care about climate change because it's going to affect everyone. Mm -hmm. It's not just the people who live in whatever, the more um, classic areas that that are um, affected by climate change. It's going to show up on your front door soon. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time. And for people who don't, you know, let's let's put it this way.
0: Some people aren't going to care about their neighbors. They're not going to care about the people down the street, whatever. Like I personally, I disagree with that line of thinking. But there are people out there who are going to say, why should I care about them? Let's put it this way. When you are going to have climate refugees in the hundreds of thousands coming from countries that have been impacted by drought where they can't grow food to feed their people or sea level rise, putting their island nation underwater, where are they going to go? And when they're in your neighborhood trying to move into apartments, are you going to help them then? Yeah. Yeah. Or are you just going to complain that all of these new people are moving in and making the neighborhood different than how you experienced it 20 years ago? So at some point, climate change will impact everyone. Even if you think it won't, it will.
1: Yeah, agreed. Agreed.
0: All right, let's move on to something happier.
1: Yes, let's do it. So the next one is titled Macron wants to replant 10% of the French forest after summer wildfires from Reuters.
0: All right, this one's quick, but French President Emmanuel Macron vowed last week to replant 1 billion trees within 10 years. That would account for 10% of France's forest, and he wants to do this after wildfires destroyed large swaths of forest throughout the country, specifically in the
1: southwest. Macron also plans to invest 250 million euros to modernize the firefighting air fleet, which would help prevent the spread of fires that break out as climate change makes those fires more likely. Wildfires destroyed 180,000 acres of forest this summer, which is six times the average annual fire destruction seen over the past decade.
0: Macron mentioned that this damage is exceptional, but might not look that exceptional in the future. Which honestly that's a really good consideration. And <laughs> like I'm relieved to hear a world leader saying that yeah. right after our last story where we're talking about climate change is gonna make things worse. So for him to come out there on the national stage and say, Hey, this summer sucked. We had a lot of wildfires, six times as much as we can normally expect. Yeah. Get used to it if we don't start to act on it. So I'm I'm glad that they're modernizing the firefighting
1: fleet. I'm I'm glad that they're
0: replanting forests this seems like a really good adaptation strategy.
1: Agreed. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's being aggressive in in fighting climate change. And it's. you're right, it's great to hear a world leader say something like that where it's like, yeah, this is gonna be the new normal if we don't change things, so.
0: Yeah. All right, we're gonna take this one into a quick break. When we got back, we got two more quick hits for you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT.
1: Today, folks, next up, EU on track to break pledge to cut methane emissions by 30 percent. Warren's report by The Guardian's Arthur Nelson.
0: All right. This one kind of goes hand in hand with the second story we talked about today about global emissions rising. But the EU is on pace to break a promise to cut methane emissions by 30 percent by 2030. The article says that methane is the second biggest contributor to global heating after carbon dioxide, with a greenhouse gas impact at least 27 times worse than CO2 over a 100-year time span. Like we said earlier, methane also lasts in the atmosphere for far less time than CO2,
1: so this is a fixable problem if addressed correctly. Unfortunately, the EU is not doing that. The 27-nation bloc has avoided using policy levers such as its 387 billion euro common agriculture policy to directly tackle the problem, according to the report by the Changing Markets Foundation. The campaign's director for the Changing Markets Foundation, Nusa Urbancic, said, we're in a climate emergency and cutting methane is the best short-term measure to slow the temperature increase. Urbancic added that leaders need to start listening to scientists instead of lobbyists. Retweet,
0: cosine, whatever trendy topic. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. with it. Stan. I'm with it. Yeah. Slay. <laughs> <laughs> methane is responsible for around 20 percent of all global warming, and methane released from animal agriculture in Europe has the same global warming impact as 160 coal-fired power plants over a 20-year period. Animal agriculture has gotten so massive that cow burps and cow farts alone will add 25% more methane emissions to the atmosphere by 2050,
1: compared to how much they were adding in 2010. Got to get them on the Russ Wilson diet where you produce absolutely no waste. Have you seen that? Bronco's country, Let's ride. (laughs) (laughs) Feeding livestock more efficiently, using new feed that help reduce gas, and cutting down on global beef consumptions are just some of the ways to lower emissions of methane. Cutting pollutants with shorter lifespans like methane could reduce global warming by one half between 2030 and 2050, a recent study found. But without new measures, the EU's methane output may only fall 17% by the end of the decade, the new report estimates. The European Commission predicts slightly higher numbers, estimating a 23%
0: methane emission cut, but even that is lower than the EU's goal of 30%. A spokesperson for the European Commission said that agricultural methane emissions are harder to cut than methane from energy and waste, but the methane intensity of EU animal output steadily decreased from 2005 to 2020 and remains one of the lowest worldwide. I would like to rebut that by saying sure. That very well could be true, but this is kind of the same argument as when people in America say that we don't need to decrease our emissions because in 2022, China has more carbon emissions. Like, yeah, fair, correct, sure, but historically, we have more. So even if the EU has been lowering animal agriculture emissions since 2005, they are still too high. They are still not hitting their goal of a 30% reduction by 2030.
1: Yeah, it's like... um... It's like when you're a kid and your mom is packing you, like, just bologna and cheese sandwiches every day, and then you come home and you're like, but he gets to eat pizza every day or something like that. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like, it's, it's about you. Start with yourself. And keep Don't your promises. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's move into our last quick hit of the week, which is from Jack Nikas of the New York Times, who writes, Brazil elects Lula, a leftist former leader in rebuke of Bolsonaro.
0: I am so happy. <laughs> we <laughs> first spoke about this on our October 7th episode during the first round of Brazil's election. Um, we didn't really cover it in depth because we knew that this runoff election was, was going to happen. Um, and that's because neither candidate received 50% of the votes at the time. So the incumbent anti-environment president Jair Bolsonaro and former Brazilian president Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, commonly just called Lula, went to this next round of elections. Lula was Brazil's president from 2003 to 2010. And he actually ended up serving prison time for corruption for 580 days starting in 2017, but
1: was then released from prison after that trial was determined to be biased. What a comeback story. I love it. Lula's return to presidency ends Bolsonaro's single term between 2018 and 2022, which saw the Amazon deforested at an accelerated rate, 700,000 people die due to downplaying the COVID-19 pandemic, and efforts to undermine Brazil's election system. Bolsonaro spoke about voter fraud and the electronic voting system Brazil uses being inaccurate. These are all claims that have absolutely no evidence. This is the first time since Brazil's modern democracy began 34 years ago that an incumbent president has failed to win a re-election.
0: Yeah, and talking about this and saying that Bolsonaro talked about voter fraud and all that sort of stuff, I was worried he wasn't going to accept the results of the election. It was something that he hinted at and said, I don't know if I will. Mm. He actually spoke on Wednesday and said that he would accept the results and agreed to a peaceful transition of power. So I don't know if he's going to be peddling conspiracy theories about it not being a fair election, but at the very least, he is accepting the results. The bar is very low after four years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So after we recorded, Bolsonaro voters began protesting and calling on Brazil's military to prevent A peaceful transition of power.
0: Lula's win continues a recent streak of leftists winning elections in Latin America, with six of the region's largest seven nations electing leftists since 2018. If you're listening to this show, you probably realize that those types of leaders are generally more environmentally conscious. So let's talk about what this means for Brazil and for the world. Lula has promised an environmental overhaul of government policy where he plans to protect 193,000 square miles of the Amazon, fight deforestation, subsidize sustainable farming, and reform Brazil's tax code so that it can build a green economy.
1: Yeah, and we'll have to see if the government as a whole can come through on those plans, but it's worth mentioning that Lula's last presidency saw reduced deforestation of the Amazon. Lula, his advisors, and his supporters have embraced the green economy idea, supported by other leaders in Chile and Colombia. He has also pledged more staffing and funding for IBAMA, the Environmental Enforcer Group, and ICM Bio, a park service in Brazil. Lula plans to set aside land as indigenous or nature reserves, which would make
0: illegal deforestation more heavily punished than under current Brazilian law. Look, do I think Lula is going to solve all of Brazil's problems? No. But I do think there is now a chance to protect the Amazon. A chance that the country absolutely did not have under Bolsonaro.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I'm going to quote um, a Nature.com article talking about um, Lula being the next president. And It says, during Lula's first stint as president from 2003 to 2010, his administration invested heavily in science and innovation while promoting social and environmental policies that drastically reduced deforestation in the Amazon and lifted millions of people out of poverty. So automatically a huge upgrade and the fact that he was investing in science and innovation and promoting um, reduced deforestation in the Amazon in 2003 is a pretty like great thing uh, on, to have on your resume.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and frankly, I'm happy to have a leader like him back in the global stage because I was getting really sick of reading about Bolsonaro updates. I'm not going to lie.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were frustrating when we had him on the show.
0: The Amazon itself is important because it's sometimes referred to as the lungs of the earth. It sequesters a tremendous amount of carbon every year by absorbing it back into that heavy, dense forest. Protecting it and expanding it could be another critical piece in this fight that we have against climate change. So let's end this episode on a happy note. If you're an environmentalist, if you just care about forests, if you just care about wildlife, whatever reason that you have chosen to tune into this show, this is a reason to feel hopeful on this Friday afternoon. Absolutely. Agreed. Ended it on a good note. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of
1: TPT. On Monday, we're going to be back with a Monday mini-sode for November. Yes. And if you're new to TPT, we release a short episode on the first Monday of every month to help introduce our show to new people. Yeah, it's quicker, it's
0: shorter, it's just as fun though. And we, we have a good time here. So check it out, share it with a friend. Until then, please go go to the show, a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Send us an email at planettodaypod at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear
1: throughout it. Nick, where can people hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash budlincape and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all.
0: Our logo was made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace!